iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I really need a wee, so this is going to have to be very brief. Oh, my word. The test the bladder, darling. It's always better broadcasting when you do it. Oh, gosh, I've done that thing so... We've got our Christmas party coming up, haven't we? we our team Christmas party. Not a party, party, really, is it? It's a gathering. <laughs> and we're the only the only place that we could get into, we have to sit outside under some patio heaters. But they've just sent me one of those things, you know, asking you to confirm. Oh, yeah. And it's I next got, Thursday, isn't it? It's next Thursday. And Do come along if you're free. <laughs> it's, it's, you had to, I had to book it through one of those apps, oh, you know, you those know, reservation it's apps. So complicated, it is it? so complicated. And I got so annoyed with it when it was asking me all my details and stuff like that, that where it said name, I wrote, this app is crap. So now when I turn up at restaurants and they say, what names are under? And I have to say, this, this app, app is, is crap. crap. This app, you've got form here, haven't you? Yeah. This is like you calling yourself Rear Admirable. Yeah, Rear Admirable. <laughs> Rear <laughs> Admiral Glover. So our table for our team Christmas is booked in the name of this app is crap. Yeah. It's life is complicated. It's, it is unnecessarily complicated. Oh, I've got to take it out where you can. That's why I put yeah. that in because it's just mm-hmm. like I need to tell you that this is really annoying. So I wanted to cancel a hotel booking the other day, but because and I so I rang the hotel and just said, "Oh, I'm very sorry. I won't be coming." And they said, "What well, did you book through us?" I said, "Oh, uh, well, I don't know, but you, you've got the you've got the book. Yeah, we've got the booking. You can't cancel it with us." I said, "But you're the hotel. I won't be staying in. Why can't I? Ca- you didn't yeah. book with us. You've got to go back to where you booked it. And then you, you can can't remember. It. Quite often, you cannot remember. And I, there's no confirmation email anywhere in my inbox. I can't. You're right. I can't yeah. remember who I booked it with. They didn't seem to know either. But we've reached a situation where you cannot ring the place where you won't be staying to tell them you won't be coming. Yeah." I'm with you, sister. It's just silly. It is really silly. And then what will happen afterwards, in about 24 hours' time, you'll get an email asking you to review what's just happened. So somebody, I I don't want to call them a body, actually, a thing, an algorithm, uh, sent me an email that I opened this morning asking me to review a payment that I'd made for something, which is on direct debit. (laughs) What do you expect me to say? What a wonderful experience you've <laughs> just. <laughs> what and so, there's a so there's some kind of a server humming away, using up all of the electricity yeah. as much as Poland, powering these nonsensical transactions, Jane. But on the other welcome hand, to the podcast. <laughs> you said you used the word power there, and of course there may not be any power. Oh, this was our big story today. Oh, You're no. so happy. Aren't I am you? delirious You're so happy. because the front page of the London Times today, and it is in some other newspapers too. I appreciate we have listeners all over the globe. Um, was a story about the Deputy Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, uh, a man called Oliver Dowden, 
who has been given the task of urging Britons, as we never call ourselves, uh, to make sure that we have, what was it, candles, Torch, torches, batteries and, and battery-operated radio. radios, just in case uh, power is cut at any time for a, a string of perhaps unfortunate reasons. So um, I was just glowing in bed this morning when I saw that because... You've been prepped forever. I, well, I, I bought more batteries today and I've ordered a head torch. So I'm, I don't want bad things to happen, but if they do, do think fondly of me, won't you? I'll be so well. strapping my head torch around my bonce and heading out to confront whatever ails us. There was a very funny exchange on our group team WhatsApp because I... I'd read that story too and I'd posted up a suggestion for a guest that we could get who actually, we basically did get a similar guest, someone who runs a prepping shop, a, a member of our team who will remain nameless, just mm. said, I don't understand this. No. What's is, the story? Is the world going to end? Mm. And you just think, oh gosh, <laughs> should, should I tell you? Are you in charge of the news? I'm not offering her a place in my cellar. <laughs> let's, let's put it that way. I, I don't know whether... Do you, I'm, I'm assuming that um, listeners uh, in other parts of the world, definitely in North America, they will have their own prepping shops, won't they? Many more than we do, mm. yeah. Yeah, because preppers is a big thing in the States. So it's much more a thing to live off-grid, though, isn't it? Obviously, in those yes. wide, open landscapes. Well, it's just a bigger country, isn't yeah. it? I mean, I, it's very hard to live off-the-grid in the UK because we're just weeny. impossible. Yeah. Almost impossible. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you're ever more than about 100 yards away from a pylon. Or a costa. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's extremely difficult. You could try to go really, really wild in Britain, but I'm really not sure where you go. So do you think that's what defines our mentality, just because we can't actually get away from people, we can't get far enough away from people we just don't allow ourselves to develop that mentality. Right. And we don't have those being wide completely open, on our own. Those wide open places, yeah. spaces. So, so do, I've never really understood this about you. So, do you want to embrace that prepping thing, or you're so terrified you don't want to embrace it? Which thing leads you to stock up your cellar with toilet roll, mashed potato, whatever it is that's mm. down there? Cardboard cutout of Julian Warwicker. Mm-hmm. She has one. <laughs> <laughs> What is it? I don't. I actually. I think it's a, a d- genuine desire not to be caught out should the worst happen. Okay. So it's not a, a slight kind of. I don't. I'm going to, to enjoy it. No, when it, no, when no, it does. No, because I didn't. In, because the pandemic was as close as any of us, hopefully, will ever get to that, and I didn't enjoy it at all. I found it quite frightening, and I think those those mornings where I did roam East West Kensington looking for toilet roll were just a bit weird, and I'm not really proud of the way I conducted myself at that time. Um, but anyway, it is, everyone seriously should have a functioning torch, shouldn't they? And it's no good, kids, relying on the torch on your phone. It really isn't. No, don't don't shout at me. No, I'm all stacked up. I've got a little Caligas stove as well. Oh, you see, you're way, way, way ahead of me. Could you use that in your cellar? I don't have a cellar. Your stuff then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thoughts and prayers. Mainly, I think both you and I have probably benefited from having had uh, kids who've grown up to go to festivals because you basically just get get the big rucksack down, don't you? And there'll still be a couple of of protein bars lurking around (laughs) at the bottom. There'll definitely be a lighter. One of my offspring went to Reading. You know, that's always your entree, isn't it? Do you know what? That's such a parent's way of saying that word. 
Reading. Red, well, yeah. Not just Reading. Reading, which, which you do traditionally. It's the Reading Festival and you go after your GCSEs if you're anywhere near the south of England. And she spent almost the entire time in the Christian tent because they had sofas and hot chocolate. Oh, you've been there as well, Eve. Yeah, there you go. It's a place of sanctuary. Free biscuits. Well, that was, you see, that's God's work. <laughs> have somewhere to plug your hair straighteners in. <laughs> that's probably why she lingered yeah it's what jesus would have wanted uh right this one comes from i'm just going to say anonymous because you've just given us your initials so maybe you don't want to be known by both names i'm going to jump straight in i've received a birthday present from my husband it was an item of clothing i will pause briefly while we acknowledge the sigh of empathy and sympathy from the majority of your female listeners pause over <laughs> My reaction on opening the present was woefully over-delighted and amazed. My husband's face lit up with pride and joy that, in his words, he had done it again, mm. succeeded in choosing the perfect gift. I am short, slightly tubby, over 55 years old, and the coat is boxy and caramel-coloured. It, <laughs> I look like an Amazon package. <laughs> If I go out in this coat, I'm afraid I will be bundled into the back of a van and delivered to a house in Slough and left at the back of the bins. He also bought a size large. I recently lost one and a half stone. I can't stop wondering why he bought a large. It's the largeness that's upset and disappointed me the most. I want to burn it. What's your advice? Should I just get over myself and be grateful that I have a man who even thinks to buy me something for my birthday of his own choosing? No, that's a good point. Wear the coat with pride and yeah. risk being scanned and dropped into a container heading for China any time I walk into a post office or airport security or should I just admit to him that I hate it, my reaction on my birthday was completely false and made up and that, in fact, his taste in clothing is bloody awful and he doesn't know me at all. P.S. I've been with him for 27 years, married for four of them, the last four. Well, that's a story in well, itself. Well, yes. Can you explain more about that, please? <laughs> yeah. So, what's the advice? I love your description, by the way. I think the Amazon absolutely parcel. Brilliant. I think you've absolutely done brilliant. it there. Yeah. Um, I think you should become a full-time writer. Yeah. Um, that's one thing you should think about doing. I think the husband sounds rather nice. I mean, I think he, I think he's trying. Is that? Do you think the large thing is well, it's just awkward, isn't it? I mean, I, I've got... do you think we're too forgiving of men <sighs> blundering into present dark holes and we do that kind of oh bless them they just don't know why don't they know i'd know the size of would you yes i always i always well, knew I'd... all of their sizes Jane. yeah all of their sizes yes um i suppose oh i don't know i i want to cut him some slack i really do what's happened i don't know i think maybe it's just i'm a bit viral when i'm due a lemsip yes get rid of him become a full-time writer i feel better now was it, was it the talking to we had today about our attitude to the audience no no it wasn't that uh, no i'd already forgotten that now you've reminded me um oh god i wonder why they put off getting married for so long <laughs> maybe maybe this is it this is why no, maybe it was our correspondent who was a bit wary. Yeah. So I think there is there's so much in this, mm. and I really, really feel for you. And I think uh, it. You say it's the largeness that's upset yeah, and disappointed yeah. me I get, I the get most. That. Yeah. Uh, because perhaps it took quite a lot to lose the weight, and you're very pleased with yourself. You know, rightly so that you have, 
And so you were maybe hoping that you had a present that reflected that. that yes. So I or really. Or maybe he just doesn't care what size you are. That's there is that. A strong possibility. There is that, yeah. Uh, but also, I really feel for you because you've done that thing where you've been so lovely in the moment and been, you know, been nice to him. So he doesn't feel bad in seeing your absolute shock and horror. So you've just buried it a bit deep. So. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be a little bit harder to come back from. I think you should say something. I tell you what, why don't you just leave this plate in the background of a nice romantic yes, dinner? That's right. Light the candles, the ones you've got in preparation for power cuts. Put the coat on, just maybe, with nothing underneath. Test them to play, make sure the candles work. Play the podcast. And play the podcast. There we are. We could solve so many problems. Let's just briefly uh, take a, a little trip down a cul-de-sac about broad beans. It's from Sue, this. I love the podcast, she says. I'm going to start reading all these things out, by the way, when people say they love the podcast. It's tiresome content for people who can't stand the podcast and just have it on out of desperation. Oh, don't worry, they've but, gone. But we enjoy it. They're in um, Cotton's happy place. Place. <laughs> Love the podcast. I'll do it again. Uh, says Sue, for all the broad bean haters out there, I find them, I used to find them unpalatable until I tried Raymond Blanc's wife's recipe for broad beans with parmesan, published in the Times in the May of 2021. It's a five minute recipe involving cooking frozen broad beans in a bit of garlic, olive oil, a dash of water. Then you just add spinach, lemon juice, and lots and lots of parmesan absolutely delicious everyone loves them does sound good yeah but don't forget some people are allergic to broad beans so check beforehand okay thank you very much sister uh, now would you like to do the fantastic i met him at a petrol station one no because of my bladder situation i want you to do that okay i'll read it quite quickly so you might want <laughs> to turn quickly. it down to 0.8 oh big guest today deborah meaden coming up uh, here we go. Love Anonymous. As a young woman in my early 20s, I moved to Liverpool yes. in 1993. Sensible. But would regularly drive back up to London to visit friends on the weekend. Oh. On one such trip, I stopped at a garage to fill up my little Renault Clio Ooh. with petrol before hitting the M62 and was hit up by a man returning to his car. That means chatted up, doesn't it? Mm. To my annoyance, he proceeded to chat me up, despite what I thought were clear signs of indifference. However, unable to get away, as I was filling up my car with petrol, I tolerated his chit-chat, but must have looked suitably bored, whereupon he challenged me with the words, you do know who I am, don't you? To which I replied, no. Are you sure? He asked, obviously not believing me, to which I replied, yes, but you do look vaguely familiar. He then started to tease me, clearly not believing that I didn't know who he was, which I really didn't. But then it occurred to me that I'd seen him on the telly in an advert for LucasAid, so I blurted out, Oh, you're the LucasAid man. His face dropped, he looked exasperated and said, Really? Then turned round, got into his car and thankfully left me in peace. I was in a bit of a rush to get up to London for a party and happy to be left alone and thought nothing more of it until I got back home to Liverpool after a fab weekend and mentioned it to my housemate that the guy in the LucasAid ad had tried to chat me up at the petrol station. My housemate, who was and still is an avid Liverpool fan, said, do you mean John Barnes, the Liverpool player? To which I said, no, it was the guy in the LucasAid ad. Not being a football type person or interested in football whatsoever, I'd failed to recognise John Barnes, which I thought was hilarious and all my Liverpool friends thought was utterly tragic. Oh, it's a tough one, that. I mean, John, star for Watford, star for many years for Liverpool and England, fantastic player. But he obviously didn't take that lack of recognition all that well. Have you ever used the phrase, do you know who I am? No. 
And you know damn well why I haven't. Because they wouldn't know who I was. And it's not worth trotting out. Um, I do know another story about uh, a friend of a friend, shall we say, who went clubbing in Liverpool. Uh, and back in the day, he used to be in with a reasonable chance, depending on which club you went to, of encountering a professional footballer <clears throat> or someone who claimed to be a professional footballer. And on this occasion, this lady did end up going back to the house of a person she did not recognise, but who turned out to be a player. And he did. He kept saying to her, do you know who I am? And she kept saying, no, I don't. In the end, the bloke went upstairs, came back down again, dressed in his strip, and then stood in front of her and said, now do you know who I am? And she still didn't really know. <laughs> and then did he turn round and he had his name on the back of the shirt? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that helped. Uh, but only, of course, if you know the name. Um, and yet, I mean, the thing is, um, with football, there are some people who know everything there is to know about it. And there is a chunk of the population that knows and cares yep. absolutely not one jot. But also our correspondent. I mean, she did know that he was the LucasAid yeah, man. Yeah, fair and enough. I think that actually, you know, if you're, if you're doing the chat up, you take that as a win. I mean, there's some recognition there, isn't there? Yeah, but the thing about LucasAid is I always associate LucasAid with being an invalid Yeah, and those childhood ailments... And the crinkly paper around the bottle. Oh, I love the crinkly well, paper. The best thing about it. But now it's kind of had a very vigorous revamp, hasn't it? It's as a, a sport drink, a isn't sport it? sport drink. Yeah. Yeah, which um, for me, it never will be. Mm. Just on the prepping front, though, always have a couple of bottles of LucasAid in the house. That's very sensible. Because you never know. That and a white loaf in the freezer. Mm. Can I just confess, I've never said, do you know who I am? Because I feel the same reaction as you do. But? But I did get stuck outside the car park, basement car park. Do you remember it at Broadcasting House? I do. I was sick in there. So I said, that's a nice anecdote. Were you drunk? Hungover. Hungover. (laughs) And I was trying to get in because I was allowed to have a car parking place there on a Saturday morning. Yes. And I was doing the Saturday live programme. Yes. And uh, the lovely person at the other side of the intercom system just wouldn't let me in, wouldn't let me in. I hadn't filled in the right form and all that kind of stuff. So I did end up saying to her, check the radio times. Oh, Fee. I didn't say it in a nasty way. I just said, please. I'm in the radio times. You've been been horribly exposed by that anecdote. (laughs) Thank you so much for telling me. And there was was absolutely, there was no other voice coming out of the intercom. But the barrier came up. What a, well, that's, you see, a victory. A small victory. Do you think they keep a, an edition of the Radio Times in the little area, security area, so they can consult it? <laughs> no, I just... Yeah, it wasn't my finest hour. No. Right, Deborah Meaden. No, but you've had some other good hours. Just trying to think. Uh, Deborah Meaden, entrepreneur, Dragon's Den investor. She's an all-round, she's a bon earth, isn't she? She's a really good egg. I love yeah. her. She'll yeah. take on any question. Um, she doesn't really mind. Uh, she's lived a life and she's happy to share her own experiences. She's uh, one of five celebrities who will take part in the New Year's edition of Taskmaster on Channel 4. Now, I asked her, first of all, in a searching interview that covers a whole range of topics. We talk about mig- migration. We talk about COP28. There's quite a lot in there, isn't there? But we do start off uh, with Taskmaster on Channel 4. Fee is trying to opening a, open a bottle, which isn't helping with my bladder. Do not do that, please. I asked Deborah Meaden, first of all, if she'd recorded the episode of Taskmaster and if it was all done and dusted. It is done and dusted. It was, uh, we did the recording, the final recording last Monday. All right. Um, do you emerge with your dignity intact and <laughs> entirely triumphant? 
<laughs> um, listen, who, I don't know who emerges with their dignity from Taskmaster. I think dignity is suspended. Um, so, no, I didn't. <laughs> OK, good. Well, in that case, it might well be worth watching. Um, so just in case anybody hasn't seen it, this is uh, a show where celebrities, although they're not always celebrities, are asked to take on ridiculous challenges. Oh, absolutely crazy challenges. Um, I mean, listen, I'm a big fan of Taskmaster. And it was really funny because um, I literally just said to Charlotte, look, my, my diary's too busy. I really need to stop saying no to, you know, start saying no to things. Yeah. So don't take anything else on. And then the request came in for Taskmaster. And I was like, oh, yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. I want to do it. But I love it because it's a, it's a, it's a great, you can't really describe it. Do you watch it, Bea? I watch it. Jane hasn't watched it. She's no. not she's not really drawn to that. She's so cerebral, Deborah. <laughs> That's the problem with our Jane. Well, you definitely don't want to be too cerebral if you're watching Taskmaster. Well, okay, uh, without giving too much weight, what was the daftest thing that you did this time round? Oh, well, let's put it like this. I doubt I'm going to ever ever eat another poppadom in my life. Oh, well, that's, that's a intriguing. very tantalising hint as to what mm-hmm. lies ahead on Taskmaster. But do you know what, Deborah? I'm also I'm... left wondering uh, about the other things that you've been asked to do that you've said no to. <laughs> I mean, is the list pretty long? Uh, it is pretty long, actually. But I, I have a, I have a view in life. I, I only. I only want to do what I want to do. You know, it's it's I've got to feel if an invitation comes in, I've got to feel like, oh, yes. Um, and, and Taskmaster was one of those because I am a genuine fan. Um, it's one of the rare shows that, that Paul and I will sit and say, right, let's stay in tonight because Taskmaster's on. Um, so uh, and because you kind of build a relationship with the with the contestants, um, you know, we, we 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 watch it pretty religiously, and if not, we watch it on catch up. So it's you know, we it, it as soon as it came in, okay. I was like, oh, I can't believe it! I've been invited onto Taskmaster, but there are others that I and I don't. I'm you know, I'm very polite, but if they're not me, I will say it's just not me. So no no point asking me again next year. There's no point me just putting you off and saying I'll do it at some point. I'm not doing it. So you're not doing the jungle. Ever. I'm not doing the jungle. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, just out of interest, have you seen any of the jungle series this time round? Do you know I haven't? I, mm. I I don't I I don't really watch it. Um, for, for it actually makes me feel slightly uncomfortable. And 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 um, oh, yeah. Anyway, so no, yeah, I don't really I don't really watch it. All right. Well, you referenced your husband Paul, who is well, he's a very keen. Has he got a, a home garden, or he produces loads of homegrown stuff, doesn't he? In your in your home. Yeah, we're lucky enough. We've got a um, we bought a really old property and it had the makings of a wall garden or what what used right. to be a wall garden. So we've got about a third of an acre, which is more than you know more than we need to eat. Um, so so at, at times of the year we're we're totally self sufficient on salad and and vegetables. This time of the year I get a little bit fed up with root vegetables because um, that's all that's coming out of the garden. Right. Um, but uh, but no, we're very lucky. And there's something really lovely and satisfying about sitting down to a meal and knowing that everything on your plate 
was produced in the garden. It's lovely. Yeah, so parsnip surprise on the menu again, round at your well, joint actually, tonight. I see. I like a parsnip fry. I, I can, I, that's one I can, as long as they're nice and thinly sliced and very, very crispy. Mm. Um, it does look as though, uh, if the worst comes to the worst, you and Paul would be okay. We were just talking to a prepper in Cornwall who says that more and more people are coming into his store, well, it's now a very large store, because they are concerned that something is coming our way. And if you've seen the front page of The Times today, you'll know that the Deputy Prime Minister Oliver Dowden is urging every household to have a battery-operated radio, uh, to have candles and to have torches. Do you have all those things? We do, actually. Um, yeah, we do. Uh, but I, I think... I, I, I don't know whether it's just from childhood, um, but I've always had to know where the candles are. You know, I've always... It's like, if everything goes out, where's the candles? Um, so we certainly have the candles. Do we have a battery-operated radio? Ne- uh, yeah, well, of course we do. Yeah, absolutely we do. Um, you don't sound very sure about that, and the government is urging you to no. make sure you have one. I'm going to go and have a look. I actually, I was I was imagining one of those old bush radios, but of course nowadays radios don't look like that, and of course they're battery-operated. <laughs> right. Um, let's move on to current affairs. And uh, today we know that the UK has signed yet another deal with Rwanda. This is the one, apparently, that is going to ensure that some asylum seekers end up in Rwanda. Do you believe it? Um, I, I don't know whether I believe it or not. What I don't believe is the amount of money we're spending on such a, you know, on, on trying, trying to... No, actually, the amount of money we are throwing at something that already looks to me like it's been proved not to work... Um, you know, that's setting aside whether I think it's the right thing or the wrong thing to do. Um, it, it just feels a little bit crazy to me um, that, that we're just chucking so much money and not not even looking at the root cause of the issues. We need we need to process people faster. You know, we need more people processing. We wouldn't have so many people, um, you know, waiting to, to either stay or go um, if we were processing it properly. So I, I, um, I have a bit, a bit, bit of a worry around the whole Rwanda piece. Right. OK. Um, it's, it's a strange policy anyway, because Rwanda has to be both bad enough to act as a threat and safe enough for us to be confident that people we send there won't be poorly treated. It's all a bit weird, isn't it? It's all a bit weird. And the fact that we think we can pass a law to call it a safe country, I'm not quite sure that's how the world works. No. And migration generally, is it something that you are concerned about? And do you have a level of net migration into the UK that you think, yeah, OK, it's 350,000. That's a good number. I think that's the right number. I'm happy with that. So I think we need to be very careful to understand that actually the big number of migration is the migration that we want. We've asked, we've invited into the country and we're not talking about that. We have we have a we have a workforce shortfall. Um, so the biggest portion of that, that migration number is legal and require and requested migration. So I think it's a very dangerous thing to start throwing big numbers around and saying, you know, this is migration, that this is a huge out of control issue because a lot of those are actually controlled. And have you run businesses or been involved in businesses that have actually felt that they've, you know, taken a, a sideways knock because they haven't been able to recruit the high caliber staff or the suitable staff that they want to from a British workforce? Um, so currently, currently, no. So that, you know, wouldn't be true. But in the past, 
Um, there have been times when I've completely relied on when I had the holiday parks, if we didn't have, you know, some of the cleaners on the changeover days when we need a mass influx of people because we've got to change over really quickly, totally reliant. Actually, it was on EU staff at the time. Um, but but yeah, I mean, totally reliant. It just wouldn't work. Well, why is it then that so many people in Britain appear to wrestle with that, Deborah? What's well, the because problem? I don't think it's I don't think it's explained properly. We do talk about this big migration number. What we don't talk about is, you know, asylum seekers. We don't separate out asylum seekers, those who we've actually invited over to the country because we've got a shortfall of the workforce. You know, we don't, I don't think we don't, we just don't pick it apart enough and explain that these are, there are different, there are differences between these different groups of people. So uh, what about the fact that since Brexit, uh, because of the the points-based immigration system we have now, uh, migration to this country has gone up so much, presumably not what many people who voted Brexit were expecting? Listen, if you need workforce, you need workforce. I mean, I can't I can't answer for people who 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 aren't necessarily in business and understand that what you know, what is actually needed. Um, But it was as clear as clear as day to me. It was one of the big threats of Brexit, um, as far as I was concerned, that 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 we wouldn't have the right people, the right amount of people in the you know, we wouldn't have availability of the right people in the right workplaces. You know, the shortage in the NHS, shortage in the care homes. Um, I that was a big risk. Yeah, um, it does seem that um, if you ask people, they are happy with almost everybody who comes into the country, but they don't like the idea of migration. If you say to, if you say to people, do you want more care workers? The answer is yes. Do you want more doctors? An emphatic yes. Are you happy with the migration figures? The answer is usually or often no. None of that makes sense, really, does it? As you've already illustrated. No, but we're not always logical, are we? You know, we get emotional about things. And if things are presented to us in a very emotive way and the language around immigration has not been terribly helpful from the government. So it's very easy to whip up some kind of, you know, a negative feeling when the reality is that actually a lot of the immigration is helping helping the country work properly. Um, So, I, you know, I, I go back to I think there's a responsibility to explain the different Parts of immigration, you know, the bits that are really, really needed, um, you know, the the asylum seekers who, you know, who we need to consider very carefully. Um, I'd certainly if we were if I was in trouble, I'd want a country to, to help me, um, you know, and the illegal the illegal Im- immigrants that, that, you know, that are just coming over here because they, you know, it's a it's a lovely place to live. So I think we just need to be a little bit fairer. Um, to explain to people because people are busy they've got their own worries they're not going to spend hours trying to work out when they give me an immigration figure you know am I happy or am I sad if I'm told to be annoyed about it I'm going to be annoyed about it yeah okay um there does seem to be the belief on the part of the government that there are people around at home malingerers uh, potentially who with the right help with the right encouragement could end up in the workplace do you believe that to be true well, I wouldn't use the I wouldn't use the language uh, malingerous for sure. Um, 
But I do think there are some issues either around education, you know, accessibility. You know, I, I live in a lovely, um, you know, lovely part of the country, but actually being able to get to work can be quite difficult. So there can be lots of barriers to people to enter the workforce. And once you've been out of the workforce for a long time, then you can lack the confidence and the skills to get yourself back into the workforce. I really don't think language like Malinga is, is helpful. I really yeah, I mean, don't. To be fair, that was I, that was my language. But the, the, Oh, but, that's good. Yeah, that's well, a, don't do that. Thing. No, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm <laughs> I've been told off and I will never, ever do that again. Um, but the, the, the government believes this to be to be popular, to use language of that sort, if not actually that word, appears to be quite appealing to some it's lazy. voters. Yeah, okay. it's lazy. It's very, very lazy. It, it gets a response. Um, it worries people. It, it, it puts fear into people. And uh, and fear is actually a, a fearful population is is much, much easier to influence. So I think it's very lazy and I think it's very unhelpful. Yeah, um, it, it's a plain fact, I guess, that many of us don't work in social care because, quite honestly, it's not terribly well paid and it's very difficult and sometimes very intimate work. How would you go about making it a profession that people actually actively wanted to enter? Well, I, I think there is a perception. Um, I think you described it as a perception very well. But actually, if you look on the flip side of that, you're you're caring for people. You're making a real difference to people's lives. Um, and, and yes, there are some some unpleasant you know things that will happen and sad things. There'll be joyous things that will happen. Um, but I you know I think describing it. Um, in in a way that it actually genuinely is, which is an incredibly reward, incredibly important, incredibly rewarding work. Of course, paying well for it. But actually, I was listening to uh, somebody in the care sector. I can't name them because I can't remember the names. Um, in an interview, and they and they were they were quite quite, and they weren't they weren't they were working in it. They weren't sort of owners of a care home, and they were saying it isn't about the money because if you just pay lots and lots of money. Then, then you'll just get people who want to do it because they want more money. And you actually, it's a profession that, that it's for carers. You know, it's for caring people who want to make a difference. So I think that's the point. I think you just need to find a way of describing. Yes, of course, it can be difficult. All, all work can be difficult. But, but, you know, how rewarding and what can be more important than looking after people in their need? iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync... Things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Deborah Meaden is our guest this afternoon. In a polytheistic world, Deborah would be goddess of business, in brackets, green. Uh, Deborah, have you ever been invited to a COP? Have you ever been to a COP conference? I have indeed. So I went to Glasgow and uh, and I was actually on a on a panel discussing obviously the future of um, well, not obviously, but the future of energy um, and uh, and the green future and the opportunities that that lie in the green future. So, yes, I absolutely have. Is there a very different atmosphere at a COP conference to what we might imagine from the reporting of it, which understandably can be very critical? And obviously Greta Thunberg is the main person who has criticised them recently, saying it's just blah, blah, blah. Nothing else is really happening. But is it very different on the ground? You can really feel something that is moving in the right direction. Oh, that's a really good question, because actually, I think, um, A, there were there were I hadn't realised how many people went to COP, you know, and, and that's from school children, you know, right through to the senior politicians. Um, and, and I would say when I came away, my lasting view was of an of an energy and a hopefulness and, uh, um, and, 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 and I'm sorry, things do change. You know, if there had been no COP, we wouldn't be having this conversation at all. Um, so, so things do change, but of course things get focused on in terms of the so, sort of, we focus on the big headlines with the big politicians. And I guess that's important. Well, not, it is very important because that's actually where the change is going to happen. So, you know, you kind of get these two things. You get these, oh, this is brilliant. This really matters. This is really into particularly the younger generation. You know, this is, this is, things are changing. And then every now and you get this, oh. Mm. not changing fast enough are they but do you have that sense of frustration and and you're kind of clenching your fists we can see you because we've got a zoom link at the moment when you're saying that and so I wonder whether you feel that about what is perceived to be uh, quite a rowback from the conservative government on green pledges although they would say it's a pragmatic approach that allows people to get through a cost of living crisis without leaving all of our green credentials at the door. So here's the thing that I, 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 I talk about a lot. There is a huge opportunity in the green economy and we don't talk enough about that. I don't understand why we are not really embracing that. We owned that. We were doing really, really well as a country, sort of owning that space. And we need to own a space. And we what do you mean by that, Deborah? You mean, you mean investing in businesses in the UK that are entirely green? Yes, both investing in businesses and also solving some of the problems. We're very, very good at that. You know, we've got some fantastic scientists. We've got some brilliant entrepreneurs, you know, and we've been very, very good at coming up with the solutions to some of the problems. So, so, and, and we were ahead of the game. You know, we, that we were, we were known amongst, around the world as, as really, really grasping this. I don't understand why we would roll back from that and why we would link it to a cost of living crisis. Now, it is true that some of the things that you that we are asking people to do can cost more money in the short term. So, you know, more capital expend more capital expenditure, but over the long term, and not necessarily that longer term, you know, it can reduce the cost of living. And I think that the government's role in that is to say, how do we help you um, set yourselves up in a greener way so that it will reduce your cost of living in the future instead of doing this sort of green versus cost of living thing. It's really unhelpful. And it's also, it's not true. 
Well, one immediate impact of the government's slight change of, of stance on green issues has been that the sale of electric vehicles, uh, they're plummeting. This is since the PM's decision to delay the ban on the sale of petrol and diesel cars. That's been an immediate reaction. Do you find that depressing? I think it's a shame because, the you know, pe- people sometimes get confused about that date. You didn't have to buy a new electric car. It's just that when you did buy a new car, it was going to be a, an electric one. And I'm not. And what would happen then is the market. There'd be more electric cars. The prices the, of electric cars would come down. You know that's what happens if you sell a small amount of something. It costs a lot of money to make. If you make you know millions of them, then the cost comes down. So all that's done. You know I, I think is just fed into this narrative of actually, you know, it's cost of living versus green. And 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 that is, you know, listen, we don't have an awful lot of time. I always say, Fee, we're amazing. Human beings are amazing. You know, this is something we can definitely, definitely sort. You know, this is we can get to grips with this. We can we can we can bring in the changes that don't affect us too badly. Just do things differently. The question is, will we do it fast enough? And when you get a government and I don't care what they say, they are definitely sending out the signal to say, to say, actually, we've got other things that are more important at the moment. When you've got a government just building more time into the into the resolution of this massive problem, then, uh, you know, it's not good. And it's lost our place in the world. Yeah, that's, I think, the single biggest shame. I have, you uh, know, we had a real standing and we've lost it which I think a lot of people agree is is a shame. I've seen you described as a floating voter. I think you've actually owned the expression yourself. We could probably tell from what you've said so far that you might not consider voting Conservative next year. But do you have a reason to vote for anyone else? And if so, what is it? Well, I think there's, there's various reasons. I actually won't vote Conservative. And... Um, Partly because I think we need change. You know, something has to change. And and again, it's not going well at the moment. Um, so so sometimes just I do this in a business sometimes, even if I'm not quite sure what that change should be, just change something, you know, and kind of work it out. So um, absolutely, we need change. Um, yes, I do. I think that there's uh, there are some I think we I feel a little bit like we've been missing um there's the seriousness of 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 um of politics you know we've and the consistency of politics i think we need to we need we need a little bit of a we need to understand what the landscape is and we just need to take stock a little bit um so i think i will be choosing um who i vote with listen i'm pragmatic i understand i'm not going to like everything there are going to be things that i really don't like um but i i will be choosing it on who do i think is the most serious who has got the most sensible plan going forward and is showing a level of understanding and consistency sprinkled and this is the bit that I want to see and I haven't really seen yet sprinkled with some vision because we don't really have a vision at the moment I feel like we're just living day to day and every time a problem pops up we come up with some solution well that I don't think is a solution it's some sort of crazy idea that really isn't going to work long term um so we've got we're living in these very very short snapshots and what I want to see is is a clearer plan going forward and accepting we're not in a good place it's going to take a little while to get out of this and we are it is going to take a little bit of time so so show me the plan show me what you want business to do the bit the business can help in you know and business is very good at getting on board and delivering. Deborah Meaden, and I think we've determined from that that she 
will not be voting Conservative at the next election, but she was very careful not to exactly tell us. Yeah, she was, where isn't she's she? Going. But I suppose... She wants a bit of seriousness. Yeah. And consistency. You're allowed to keep your vote private, aren't you? Um, you are. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> All I'll say is, I've never missed a vote yet. No, I love voting. Oh, I love a vote. Really love voting. And I don't want it to go digital because I really like the stubby pencil and I like the wobbly board cubicle and I like the funny bag curtain. I like it all. I like the lady from the council. Yep. Uh, And I like the people outside, the mysterious people outside who ask you if you wouldn't mind giving your card in. Yep. And also I love the lineup of dogs outside polling stations now. Always take Nancy. Yeah. Because the the greyhound suffragettes, they fought for her to be able to come and sit outside the polling booth. And if if any abandoned tabbies had fought for anything... You'd take your Dora. I would take Dora down to the primary school to vote when the great day dawns. Now, Jay needs to go for a wee... (laughs) So let's just keep this very, very short. We've got two email specials coming up because for the duration of the programme tomorrow and Thursday, we will be taking the COVID inquiry because Boris Johnson is appearing in front of it uh, or reporting to it. I'm not quite sure what the terminology should be, but it means we won't have big guests. So anything that you've ever wanted to chuck in to the email inbox now is your chance to do it. Jane and Fee at times.radio. Are you going to make it? I'm not sure. Goodbye. What is it, Eve? And the book club episode is going to drop on Friday. My apologies because that's been delayed because uh, I was ill last week, but we're going to record that tomorrow and it'll go out at the end of the week. So if you've been waiting for that, thank you for your patience. Yes, thank you. Right, should we all make the sound of running water? No, goodbye. You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings, otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We miss the modesty class. <laughs> our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man. It's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week, and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day, as well as a genuine interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects. Thank you for bearing with us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com